Hello, you are listening to Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me in Tulsa, Oklahoma this week is Sarah Jensen, my wife. Hello. And also joining us in this episode is our friend Amber Day. Hello. (laughs) That was me. Some of you uh, know her. Some of you uh, love her. Mm. And a few of you Mm. love her a little too much (laughs) and need to talk to your friends and family about social boundaries. (laughs) Or marry me, one or the other. (laughs) Yeah. Or just shoot your shot. Yeah. There's a few of you that are uh, major creepos or potential husbands. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blurry line. Uh, Deeply Curious is produced by Christian B. Schmidt and associate produced by Greg and Christy Jensen and Jeff Stevens with additional support from the staff and crew members of the Jensen AV Club. With a special shout out this week to James Hayes, who joined us uh, this week. Hello. If you want to learn how you can support the show and get exclusive content and deeper access, head over to JensenAV.club or just search Cody Jensen on Patreon. But if you can remember JensenAVClub and add a dot in between AV and club, you got it there. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Very clearly explained. Yes. (laughs) Um, So in this episode, we are sitting around a round table with our friend Amber with a um, Little Mermaid puzzle in between uh, us. Disney Thomas Kincaid puzzle, please give it the respect it deserves. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Fully interlocking? <laughs> missing two pieces. Do, okay, first off, <laughs> I opened this box and it was already missing these. This is a brand new puzzle that was missing two pieces. <laughs> if I had a dog, I would blame it on the dog. But you don't. I don't. Where Where are they? It is uh, fresh. Yes, it is the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also a Thomas Kincaid, so very important. Yeah, Thomas Kincaid makes the best puzzles known to mankind. Wow. Does he make puzzles, or does he make paintings that people make into puzzles? I would, I'm almost 100 percent positive he sit and hand carves each puzzle. At I home. got you. That's yeah. why. That's why it's 399. <laughs> Um, So we are sitting around this uh, table. Sarah and I uh, took a trip down to Oklahoma uh, because I was hired for a video gig. And so we made a uh, extended, a little bit extended trip just to hang out with our friends. Mm -hmm. And so we're here. And while we were with our friends, we decided to record this podcast. That brings you up to speed on the last uh, (laughs) couple weeks of our life. Um, But in the last couple weeks, some things that I've been thinking about is our animalistic nature or just as humans being animals in general, like we are animals and the fact that we don't, we don't like to think of ourselves as animals. Right. And what does it mean that we are animals? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the thought that kind of really sparked this was I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was listening to music and I, I start, I was getting in, the music was moving me. Mm. Um, and, it was making me bob my head. So it was literally moving me. Mm-hmm. And I was just bobbing my head to the music, swaying. And I'm in a public place where other people cannot hear what I am hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I cannot keep myself from dancing mm-hmm. while listening to music. And, yeah. I, and I look over and there is a, another girl like, two tables over who has headphones in and she's also bobbing and like dancing to the music. And I just kind of started pondering about like the, just the nature of that. Mm -hmm. And then how, if you play music for babies, they will dance without having to be taught to dance. Love babies dancing to music, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. It is so cute. 
And so natural. And so natural. And I was just thinking about the beauty of that, the beauty of our animal nature Mm -hmm. and the fact that music is played and our animal nature says to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It brings joy to our brain in such a level that it manifests itself physically into dancing Mm -hmm. um, without having to be taught that that's what you like. We don't even think like, I want to dance. We listen to music and dance because of what is happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyways, just, I was thinking deeply upon this. um, (laughs) And and then it, it, uh, it made me think about uh, Kurt Vonnegut. He has this quote that within the quote, he says, we're all just dancing animals. Hmm. And whenever I first read that quote from Kurt Vonnegut, I, I understood by the same time, I didn't fully understand, or maybe I'm attributing my own definition to mm-hmm. what he was saying. Because the, the end of the quote is, um, we're all just dancing animals, we like to move around um, and we just like to move around. And so I think he was more talking about how human animals, we like to do things. We just like to get, Mm -hmm. you know, go out and do things and and be around and uh, not just be sedentary. And so, but I, I was thinking about in relation to me experiencing two people dancing by themselves in a coffee shop and we're all just dancing animals. And I don't know. I first, I guess. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting to me that you see it as something positive. Hmm. So whenever you talk about animalistic nature, so much of the world wants us to push against that mm. and elevate ab- above that. We are higher than that, right? But I think about that often with laughing. Hmm. And you said babies dancing, but mm-hmm. even more so, babies laughing. Like that is h- how can I not control my laughter? What is happening in me that is mm-hmm. forcing me to laugh? And it and it comes with relation and with it stuff outside of my body that I cannot control. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I've ever thought of it in a positive way before. Any other time you hear an animalistic nature, you think something to control or withhold right. or to or to level up from almost, mm-hmm. you know, like the point of growing and maturing is to no longer experience that. So it's challenging to me to think of that um, in a way that is not um, intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. to actually yeah. think about embracing that in a positive way mm-hmm. um, is new, I guess. Yeah. So it's that's basically where I'm taking the conversation. Is, oh, nice. Um, Easy um, done. Thank you for coming to our yeah. podcast. <laughs> Did we come to a podcast? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so because we we fight, we resist and we fight against yes, our, our yeah. animalistic nature. And basically, I'm on a thought experiment journey of why. Okay. Um as I've been thinking about this, it has turned into being a bit of an Epicurean philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I but, think it's inevitable that it would, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, uh, this is all a thought experiment and not necessarily saying that I agree with a 100% Epicurean philosophy, but I do think that there is some validity into uh, exploring it. Um, yeah. And be- also, disclaimer before we get too far into this, um, this is a uneducated hypothesis um anything that i say that doesn't sound right isn't and anything that i do that does sound right probably still isn't i'm just saying it with more confidence um so uh we as as i was thinking about animals and our instincts i started to think about shame Hmm. and how we are the only animals who feel shame right 
dogs, we as humans like to think that they feel shame, mm-hmm. but the people who study those types of things, you know, say that we're attributing a human uh, emotion to what we mm-hmm. see in the dog. The dog is not feeling shame. Yeah. Um, and so I was just thinking about we're the only animals that feel shame. And because of shame, it leads us to not enjoying life to the fullest. Right. Even sim- even more simply than that, just an easier conversation is we have such a hard time talking about um, bodily functions. Mm-hmm. Um, if we talk about pooping or peeing or periods or sex, like all of these things that have to do with our animalness, mm-hmm. there's shame attached to it. And I don't understand why. Where did this shame come from? Mm. Because literally... of humans poop. 100% (laughs) of humans pee. Um, And then... And we're giggling about it. We know we're talking about the shame of this and we're like, "Hmm, poop. (laughs) And 50% of the the world Mm -hmm. has a period, has had a period, or will have a period. Mm -hmm. But there is like all of this taboo and shame surrounding things that us as animals just do like we have to we won't mm-hmm. we can't survive without these things we can survive without periods but um we, we can't survive <laughs> right. without you know uh you know bodily functions and we also can't survive without sex one generation can survive without sex yeah but the human race cannot mm-hmm. right and so it's like well oh. i mean there you can extract the things and make a make a i mean we've Talk through, a lot about that. Through you know, science. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But if you're talking, we would not be here if a, if a previous generation mm-hmm. decided that sex is so wrong, we shouldn't have it. Yes. Yes. Agreed. My question has been, why do we have so much shame around these things that 100% of humans experience? Well, I think, first of all, it's really hard to see anything outside of like my perspective, the way I grew up, which was in conservative Christianity. So I don't know if that's the same as the regular world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think it's interesting that bodily function aside, but just like the sex and women on their period and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's weird because it is shamed, but it is also over sexualized in culture. So like, not only do you have the shame attached to it, but you also have shame if you're not doing it enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what to do with that, but that's the first thing I thought of. Mm-hmm. So that's confusing. <laughs> 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 but I think I think maybe there's shame because it's vulnerability, right? But why is it vulnerable to talk about poop? Smells bad. Easy. Well, Next. <laughs> <laughs> that it's vulnerable to talk about it but i think it's probably i don't know i was gonna say not the most pleasant but it maybe it's just not the most pleasant because we've been taught that it's not maybe it's totally fine i don't know it seems like things done in private to me are really things that bring out shame and it could be because in private we don't know if everybody else even though we know they're having the same general experience right. is the depth of their experience the kind of their experience the same that i'm having and that that fear in your head keeps you from talking about it and then allows mm-hmm. these things to play more deeply in your head you know um because i'm trying to think if we're talking about sex poop pee periods all this that's all behind closed doors stuff right mm-hmm. it's right. not 
eating or, you know, and obviously that's a whole different conversation, but there's, I mean, it seems stuff that's done in private is allowed a bigger space in your head to make you feel different. Mm. And the whole idea of, you know, exposing yourself before, you know, whenever you have shame, even in a different way, if you do something wrong, going and confessing removes the power in your head of something to make that loop of, I am not good enough. I am different than others or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It seems to me, I don't, I don't want people to poop in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's just a general nature of things that keep it behind closed doors. And I think that will always give them more power than they deserve. Um, well, maybe the solution is, is just talking about it, hmm. making things known, even though it's seems also maybe just weird to talk again. We've been taught that it's weird to talk about, but how much can you really talk about poop? You know what I mean? <laughs> Hopefully very but, little, but, <laughs> but like, it's not like you are educated on anything that happens like bodily. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to like Google it and mm-hmm. hope that you don't get some weird results. Yeah. And so. you. <laughs> yeah. What's also interesting is the fact that there is a such a huge different shame level with pee and poop. Yes. Yeah. Very true. How if you go into the to the restroom and you're only in there for 30 seconds and you come out, you don't feel embarrassed at all. Mm-hmm. But if you go in the restroom and you come out five minutes later, you're like, they know that I was in here five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, so that's that's the thing about behind closed doors. Even like <laughs> the P is all very similar. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be hard for me to picture something mm-hmm. weird or bad happening if somebody's in there for a few seconds. Have you ever I had know asparagus? it's going to be yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to be yellow. I know it's going to be liquid. I know you know whatever. Poop is something completely different, right? Nine hundred different ways that that could happen, right? Um, and I, you know, whenever you are peeing, you're not going to clog the toilet. True. Yeah, you don't know when you're pooping, right? Yeah. Speaking of poop, by the way, side note, whenever I got this couch, the guy carrying it in, I had just moved into my apartment, did not yet have toilet paper, did not have um, hand soap. This is a true story. (laughs) He brought the couch in and was halfway through and slammed the couch down. And he said, I feel sick. Do you have a restroom? And so I'm thinking, oh, he's probably going to throw up. Okay. So I pointed him in there. My walls are quite thin, so you can hear a lot. And the poor guy, I mean, was in there for probably 20 minutes. My couch was in my doorway, so it wasn't brought in. So, every, I mean, people in the hallway were, and there was nothing. Anyway, I felt bad for him. <laughs> I, I felt shame for him. <laughs> Even though I don't believe it's shameful, it's nothing he can control. Right. I was right. like, that is humiliating. Why is it humiliating? You know? Right. It yeah. is. And I also was very offended that he pooped in my toilet before I ever did. <laughs> As if I'm the first person to ever live in this apartment. But. How did how was the situation handled with no toilet paper? I didn't ask details, but he came in. And so I had, luckily I had soap out here. So he washed his hands. I have no idea. Well, hmm. That answer, that opens up way more questions <laughs> than we have answers for. I don't know the guy. I don't know if they're like, how did it go with no toilet paper? You know, I don't know if he, I have no, I honestly have no idea. Wow. Well, I didn't have any to give him. So it wasn't like we, I didn't want to just talk about the awkward, you know, yeah. bring right. it in and get out. Anyway. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> so, as I was thinking about this, so there is all the bodily function things with associated with mm-hmm. shame. But then there are also just, I mean, we could all think of dozens of examples of things that we feel shame for doing, liking, saying, mm-hmm. wanting, you right. know, desiring, all of that type of stuff. 
there is no other animal that has this in their existence. Mm-hmm. What would our existence be like if we did not have shame? I, I think it, and I hesitate to use the word helps, but I think it is an agent in creating social norms. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we didn't have shame, I mean, even after somebody murders somebody, you hope they feel right. regret and mm-hmm. shame. Something of like, I know I am going to be a social pariah after this, so I will not. So at the, the deepest levels, like, it's great there. I mean, just in general, I would say you could almost never oppress anybody if there was no shame. Mm-hmm. Like, ha- I mean, even from fashion and, and subculture, things like that, like, oh, mm-hmm. you're wearing that kind of, well, that was last year's shoe or something. It's just enough to say I am better than you. But even to d- deeper levels of like, okay, even back, uh, it, you know, during slavery, like you should be ashamed of your skin color. And that set in so deep. We're even hearing about these mm-hmm. mindsets still that that people are getting out of. Like, I, I, I feel like, I, I just feel shame about something I can't control. And it's all used for oppression. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think like a shameless world. I mean. Yeah, I I definitely think that it's it's the way that our world is set up, our society is definitely run better if people conform. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is hmm. used to help people conform in religion, in society, in everything. Mm-hmm. Like you say, like, okay, this is good, this is not. So then that automatically makes people strive for what they want them to strive for. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just like how they needed like assembly line workers, you know? And so like you conform to a rhythm and a pattern and a, a way and it's easier to control. Mm. I mean, if you take religion into that, it's like there is – some of it is fear on top of shame. There's like mm-hmm. a, a, right. a both and there. Um, I think it's hard to but, separate those two. Yeah, levels. but selling a, an idea to somebody that they need to fear this and be shameful for wanting, desiring, or doing this so that, like what Sarah's saying, you conform to the way of which our um, community Mm-hmm. most benefits if we all believe this same thing and go in this direction mm-hmm. because without that shame and fear people are free to f- have their own thoughts opinions and convictions and some of those are going to differ from others and cause conflict mm-hmm. so to reduce the conflict we fear and shame those into conforming mm-hmm. well and to reduce um i think the need for us to have to like face ourselves Right, like we shame and fear others so that we don't feel oh, shame and point. fear, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a used in that way as well, mm-hmm. especially for, I mean, like in like religious things, like things that you think are right and wrong, and you should be doing this and not this and whatever. Even if there's not really a a right or wrong, it just is what it is. People use shame and fear to make them feel wrong so that they don't have to were or like face themselves mm-hmm. yeah as i was thinking about this i i wrote this down i said without shame we have the freedom to enjoy the things that make us feel good yeah which is epicurean mm-hmm. um and i guess i should say for anybody who has never heard of the epicurean philosophy epicurious believed that as we as we exist 
we exist to find the things that brings a, bring us the most pleasure at all cost, essentially. Yeah, you just um, chase would, what pleases you. You do everything that pleases you. Um, is that with the assumption that it doesn't harm others? Or does it... I don't... I mean, that would just be the most simplistic way to okay. define like what I mean when I'm saying Epicurean mm-hmm. is just, you know, just going after whatever pleases you. But without shame, we have the freedom to enjoy the things that make us feel good. And why I thought that is because there are certain things in life... Um, we, we talked about this in a previous podcast just recently about pretentiousness. And mm. essentially it's that, that other people shame us into feeling bad about the things that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. So in a Christian perspective, let's say you enjoy a glass of wine or two or three. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically speaking. There are going to be those in the Christian faith or, you know, in the church that you go to or in your own family Mm -hmm. that shame you for having that desire. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of nuanced conversation when we're talking about substances like that, Mm -hmm. um, because there is obviously substance abuse and we don't, I'm I'm not, that is a entirely different um, conversation and podcast. So we're more, I'm just more talking about just, you find that having a glass of wine slides your scale if you're talking that one side of the scale is suffering and the other side is happiness having a glass of wine with dinner takes you a little more towards happiness Mm -hmm. and less and further away from suffering Mm -hmm. that's something that you enjoy you like it you like playing dungeons and dragons with your friends and Mm -hmm. yeah uh just a heads up no i don't so for all of my uh, (laughs) creepy pursuers and potential husbands i do not play dungeons and dragons okay but why did you feel like you needed to clarify that? Because what if I, because I, what if my husband thinks is he only loves me because I play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> this is not a shame based thing. This is, I just want to make sure that the, the accurate information is out there. So my future husband knows really who I am before we get married on first sight. Okay. In the sentence that I say you are into Dungeons and Dragons, I mean you, the ethereal you of, that is listening. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So they are, yes. not me. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're into Dungeons and Dragons and you don't tell people that. Or don't even play mm-hmm. because people say, you know, that it is super nerdy or super geeky, you know, whatever. And they shame you into thinking that what brings you happiness mm-hmm. and enjoyment is less than. Yeah. And they shame you for that. Um, you know, so anyways, we could go on and on and on and on, and on with mm-hmm. thousands of examples. And there is even things that I, you know, see other people enjoying. And I'm like, why? Like, how do you enjoy that? Like, yeah, right. That makes no sense. But they have found something that brings them closer to happiness than other things. Mm-hmm. And so without shame, we have the freedom to enjoy the things that make us feel good. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I think obviously it can't, nothing in life can be a blanket statement because there's way too much nuance. And so like with that specific sentence, is like that makes us feel good. Obviously you can go too far in feeling good and then it's just self-destruction like it doesn't really matter like you can have a soda and it makes you feel good but if you have 12 a day Mm -hmm. it's gonna kill you right although like we maybe that's fine if it's killing nobody else if it's if if it's just your thing then i don't really know that i have the right to judge that right so maybe it's fine that is where the conversation goes Mm -hmm. of like Let's take drinking 12 sodas a day. That is wildly unhealthy for your future self. Yeah. But it is very enjoyable for your current self. Mm -hmm. Now, if we remove the 
substance abuse conversation from this. Mm-hmm. This person's in control of their life. Mm-hmm. They're not addicted. Soda is not controlling them. Right. Is it bad? And should we stop them from harming their future self if their present self is saying, I love soda. I want to drink this because I feel happiness to a degree. Mm-hmm. This makes this brings me closer to happiness doing this. I would rather have the sugar than have the longer life. I mean, I I don't I wouldn't say I'm 100% about this, but I I lean yes. Like no, we should not tell them to stop. Like if they're happy, they're happy and who am I to say that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing? I agree with that. I, I think 98% of the world would agree with that, though, if you remove addiction. I think it's hard right. to have that conversation in a vacuum where where addiction doesn't exist. Because mm-hmm. I think most people's issues with things like pornography and sugar mm-hmm. and gambling, things that people can make the argument can be used healthily right. in a in moderation, right? But but the nature of these things that have turned into big businesses are they know that that you will not use it in moderation and that right. advertising happens. And so we almost use shame, um, social pressure in general, but which would equate to shame in the other person to to kind of force a societal health and, you know, mm-hmm. conforming to societal norms of, hey, don't do this because of the kids, because of who, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, there's always a because of something. Um yeah, so I mean, it's hard. I, 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 I can't. Can you think of something that you would say in if there is no addiction, or that you can imagine anybody saying if addiction doesn't exist, that they would think people shouldn't use? Like, do you think anybody would disagree with the twelve sodas? I mean, I think that even without addiction, you shouldn't do heroin. How come though? Well, I guess the the challenge to that question would be challenging. It makes me think that there is not a blanket yes or no mm-hmm. but the reason i i started saying it <laughs> is because it has way more detrimental effects to the user mm-hmm. and um it has way more detrimental effects to those around the user okay um so somebody who's on like pcp becomes a danger to society mm-hmm. they may really enjoy it but right. they're a danger to society even mm-hmm. if they're not addicted to it mm-hmm. um you know heroin and other hard drugs that and like that that they are you become no longer in control of yourself and become pose a danger or a nuisance Mm -hmm. to others around you then i think that that is something that shouldn't like should be avoided yeah i mean if you're if there's potential to harm anybody else you are responsible for keeping that in check for sure so if there is no risk of harming others, but only high risk of harming yourself, should every, everything that fits under that definition be allowed? It depends on what you call harming others, because now I'm looking at it from a parent's point of view, um, thinking, okay, if there are people you know, working a lot with the foster care system and things like that, if there is a parent and mm-hmm. they are not going to physically harm a child, but they are going to provide a less loving household. Well, that's still harm. That's harm done. But then that that scale, I mean, you can say the 12 sodas taking a parent and they die five years earlier could do harm to a child or they get diabetes and that does harm because you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think that dying five years um, earlier for with an adult child, mm-hmm. that's not harm done. Mm-hmm. Harm done would be, you know, that by doing what you're doing, you're going to die before your, uh, before you have raised your child 
um, to adulthood, mm-hmm. then that would be harm done because then this child is now parentless mm-hmm. and doesn't have like you, whenever you have a child, you enter into an agreement with the universe that you are going to take that child and rear it into mm-hmm. you know uh, being able to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Once that it, once that human being is existing and ha- you know has their own choices, then I don't think that a parent. I don't think a child has any more responsibility to their parent, and I don't think that parent has any more responsibility to that child. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, okay, a love of music. Somebody loves, you know, I don't pop music, and Taylor Swift was performing four times a week in Tulsa for the next year. And a parent goes four times a week and leaves her kid with a babysitter. And so, four times a week, this kid does not have their parent around. Mm-hmm. They're in a safe environment, but you're depriving them from the love of a parent more days than not throughout a week. I mean, is that then harmful? Mm-hmm. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like it, but, it can get so nuanced. Yeah, but what's interesting is that all of the examples are about a parent to a kid. What if, I mean, if you don't have kids, then. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what now, if I'm looking through, we're talking about if it doesn't harm others, then the deepest way I can take that is what does a parent do in, in harming others, right? D- does it matter if a single person goes and watches Taylor Swift four times a week? No, so Taylor Swift is not mm-hmm. an issue. If a parent goes and watches Taylor Swift, you know, right. then you know, I mean, because there are people who have done heroin for years and nobody knows it. They mm-hmm. just do a regular dosage. And then once they become full-blown addicted, then it gets crazy. So then is heroin allowed in small doses, mm-hmm. you know, and then we still get back to, okay, now we're regulating and making laws around and, you know, right. um, back to that social conformity of mm-hmm. lowest common denominator. This is allowed because most people can control themselves with right. this amount. Most people can drive with 0.08 right. or something, you know. Yeah. Um, blood alcohol content. Yeah, I don't know. But then, well, that gets into a whole nother conversation. I was gonna say, but <laughs> then there are there are certain things that you could argue are highly addictive, like gambling or something mm-hmm. that we do not um, limit or say it's allowed mm-hmm. up until this month because it makes somebody too much money. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. whenever there's an industry behind it, yeah, it's you know no holds barred because you know if we can. Uh, addict people to giving us money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's almost every product. Yeah, that's the reason. That's the reason there's two Coca Colas on this table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> because if they can get you addicted mm-hmm. to giving them money, they don't care how much this harms you. Yeah, right. They, they have you know no thought about that. It's like it's more about how many can we sell, and if we can get people, if 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 this. If changing the ingredients will be a little bit less healthy, but way more profitable, we will do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Because they'll say, oh, well, the person has the right to not buy our product, right. right? Right. But I mean, that this all gets down to the science of dopamine in our brain. So if you live purely Epicurean and say, okay, I'm just going to chase pleasure, well, then your dopamine center is going to be all the time. And I mean, even if you think you are actively choosing what you're doing, you are still in some way addicted. Mm-hmm. It's just like our smartphones, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, they have hacked our dopamine center. So we know, I mean, and we're like, oh, no, no, I use it for work. I use it for, I use it to stay in touch with family. And we know it is highly, highly addictive. And the science is out even yet on what the long-term effects of staring at a screen are for that long or to have your dopamine center that this is the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. where it's ever just been continually, yeah. you know, I mean, they say ecstasy is an issue because it it depletes your serotonin mm-hmm. and it's hard to refill right and then all these chemicals work together i don't know i mean so the 
this conversation has gone to um, pleasure in excess. Mm-hmm. Um, the re- my initial thought about this is more in the reason I am so fascinated and and I have been thinking about this is more about in it's the use case of my own life mm-hmm. in the fact that I have I grew up in Oklahoma in a very conservative theological like uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I, in my adult life, I have moved to a little bit more progressive place and in my uh, late 20s live have lived now in two very progressive mm-hmm. places. And I've been thinking about just freedom in general, mm-hmm. like freedom of the mind, freedom of, of my being, and thinking about that for my entire life, I have associated alcohol, let's say, with like shame and in not be something that should not be enjoyed at all. Mm-hmm. Like if it's com- it's wrong, period. Like that's what it has been. Um, in my you know early twenties, I there was I found more nuance within that conversation, mm-hmm. and then now at thirty, I'm thinking with that without shame, I'm free to enjoy the things that I enjoy, mm-hmm. and if I I I. I, as a, um, you know, a Christian, I should have not a single ounce of shame if I enjoy a beer or, you know, alcohol Mm -hmm. or, you know, if I'm like at a wedding, you know, and I want to celebrate and I have some champagnes like (laughs) in in celebration and it makes me feel good. Like it, it increases like my, uh, celebratory atmosphere this experience then why should i not have that in my life Mm -hmm. um again in moderation like Mm -hmm. you find these things and you like i have another thought about that but i want to open up (laughs) that to response first i think the simple response is fear of excess i mean that's that again looking outside of addiction outside of excess i i don't know that anybody would disagree with i think we should do what what we find pleasure in if we know there's no addiction and we know we're not going to abuse it. I would think most people would agree with that. Um, unless they are somebody trying to sell you something, which Mm -hmm. half the world is, you know, Mm -hmm. then they want to say, okay, this thing is better. This new thing. They want to keep you from what you enjoy and create something else that you might enjoy in the future. Right. But I, I can't imagine anybody really disagreeing with that statement that, that life is meant to be enjoyed and you should be able to enjoy whatever you would like outside of, of, of the fear of excess or addiction. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I agree, but I also know people personally I mean, that would say that having a drink, even if you aren't addicted, is a sin mm-hmm. or well, wrong and shame others and judge others for having a drink in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, whenever whenever we got married, we were 18, couldn't have alcohol mm-hmm. at our wedding, right? <laughs> but also- But you can die for your country. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also couldn't have dancing at our wedding because it was held in a church and dancing leads to drinking. Mm. We didn't even have drinking at our wedding. Mm-hmm. I also would say drinking too. leads to dancing. I think they might have it backwards. <laughs> but <laughs> So it's like, while I do think the majority of people have, you know, a normal view of things mm-hmm. there are quite a few people out there i think more than we realize who who don't mm-hmm. yeah. 
<laughs> who are weird and we shame them for not being like us. <laughs> shame. Um, I think that um, like as I get older, maybe even as I get more removed from uh, the very conservative, you know, kind of upbringing that mm-hmm. we had, I the more comfortable I am not being ruled by shame. Mm-hmm. Like I think a, I think that there is a lot of good in Christianity. I think there's a lot of good people and a, a lot of good hearts and probably the majority of them are doing mostly right, mm-hmm. you know? But I do think that it caused a lot of shame in my life growing up and I am only just now getting comfortable with being okay that my faith doesn't look like Mm-hmm. somebody else's and being okay with like sharing that it doesn't look like somebody. It hasn't mm. looked like the majority <laughs> of the people I know for a long time, <laughs> but I feel much more comfortable sharing that now than I ever have mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm just comfortable with the fact that I don't want to live in shame anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think, I don't know. I do think that there is more freedom in being okay with, a little bit of Epicurean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I do think you have a responsibility as as your own person. And of course, it matters more if it's affecting other people. I do think that. I think if you are affecting other people, then what you do matters more than if you're only harming yourself. Mm-hmm. But I also think that you do have a responsibility or a purpose or whatever you want to say on this earth. And to ruin that because you can't control yourself is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody cannot control themselves mm-hmm. and they enjoy themselves to excess and die, yeah, but their existence was bliss mm-hmm. and they did not harm another human, I don't I don't blame them. I don't judge them. Should we say that they did not live their life to the fullest and or try to stop them like So I think those are two completely different questions. I think I think whatever question follows what you just said is is really important because so if I'm looking at it through a Christian lens, I do I do not think um I do not think they live their life to the fullest. Do I think they experience the most pleasure? Yes. So mm-hmm. if pleasure is fullness, okay. Right. But my lens is, it's just like Sarah was saying, and it is a responsibility or whatever, I truly think it's a purpose. And mm-hmm. I think I think living a sacrificial lifestyle, which can also bring a lot of pleasure, by the way, you know, right. and a lot right. of fulfillment, um, is a lot of the the main purpose of life. And so to, to balance self pleasure to balance self-pleasure <laughs> and to balance sacrifice so that others yeah. can also we've got so many people who don't have the opportunity to experience pleasure because mm-hmm. they're hungry and they don't have good mm-hmm. water and you know whatever it is to sacrifice their pleasure for the sake of my own right is important to me that that doesn't happen so mm-hmm. balancing how how can i have a couple sodas or a couple glasses of wine or whatever it is a a couple weeks of vacation, you know, mm-hmm. and not just isolate myself on a beach and drink wine all day because it feels the best, you know? Yeah, I do think that as in our society, we do kind of get caught up in ourselves and forget that helping other people really, truly does 
um, create the best life. Mm. Because I think regardless of your faith or beliefs, just like getting outside of your own head does so much for your mental state. Mm -hmm. And like going and serving somebody else food at a homeless shelter does something to your mental state and your heart that we don't give enough credit for. Mm -hmm. And so I do think we we get caught up in this like, well, what's best for me? What do I need to do for my life? Blah, blah, whatever. And sometimes in order to solve all your problems, you just need to go, you know, hand out food to somebody. Mm -hmm. It's really is that simple. Yeah. There is a squirrel who lives on the beaches of California. Mm. And there is Good a life. <laughs> and there is a squirrel who lives in uh, the the park in Ada, Oklahoma. Mm. Do you think that they have any worse or better existence than each other? Well, in my human brain, yeah. But do they know that? No, I don't think they do. So, if they don't, should we allow others, other human animals? to live their existences without interference from those of us, uh, those of us who, who think that we have found a better existence. State the question a different way. There is a Inuit tribe of um, people in Alaska mm -hmm. who live their life incredibly simple with wood huts and ice fishing. Should we interfe interfere mm -hmm. with their life? And tell them that they could have cars, they could have um, iPhones, and you know electricity. I don't. Mm. I don't think so. I, I personally don't, think, don't so. think so. So I think a lot of a lot of what is wrong. So weird. I was just talking to people about this earlier today. Is Westernization and us thinking because we might have the newest stuff that it must be the best? Yeah. Um, even as we talk about cell phone addiction and uh, you know lack of personal communication and all this different stuff. So. I mean, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think we should interfere unless I, the, the only exception, I guess I would say is if there's suffering. Mm -hmm. So for example, the documentary we were watching the other day where these people are dying because their water is contaminated by their feces and pee and things. If we can fix that, the Westernization, mm -hmm. if we can help them stop dying, then I think like it's imperative you interfere mm -hmm. to stop suffering mm -hmm. but if somebody is completely happy living off the grid or whatever mm -hmm. i'm not even aware that they're off the grid yeah <laughs> then, what's the grid yeah then i think <laughs> why should we force them to live a life that we're not even sure is better mm -hmm. or that i would say i'm not even yeah. sure is better yeah <laughs> As a collective, let's say, like a, a collective of humans, uh -huh. not specifically us, because I think I know what I know what our answers would be, mm -hmm. but if a human animal lives in a beautiful beach town in California and a human animal lives in the, like, sticks of Arkansas, mm -hmm. do those human like, is there one existence that is better than the other? Inherently, I mean, from my viewpoint, yes. I mean, always live by the beach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, but I think inherently better, no. I think you find people who are the more, the less pleasure they have around them, the more satisfied they actually are. 
Hmm. Um, it's the same like if you if you don't you don't know what you're missing out on. Like mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you don't know what it is and you don't you know would would that Inuit tribe be more satisfied? More would they derive pleasure from ice fishing that that we wouldn't because we know right cocaine is out there you know (laughs) so like well this is just stupid ice fishing i've got these drugs that make me the but i mean to them that is you know or pleasure and routine or you know i yeah i mean i don't i don't think one is inherently if i thought one was inherently better it would be the more simplistic one i think yeah yeah but living on the beach isn't not simplistic because the reason i thought of that is you said living on the beach drinking wine all day Mm -hmm. us as beans we didn't ask to exist. Mm-hmm. We were brought into existence and now we are here. Mm-hmm. And through this existence, we as Christians believe there is purpose, mm-hmm. obviously. But I'm I'm this is more of a thought experiment. Yeah. Um of, you know, just removing that, you know, thought. And that this person in their existence finds that living on the beach and drinking wine all day is the existence that they that they want. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the, that's what my first kind of thought was that brought me to the question. And then the second kind of thing that I was thinking is like, why do we as human animals feel that other humans living in different environments have a worse existence? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I, I think that because we can't fathom anything outside of our own experience, like, I, I mean, I don't know if it's that simple, but I think it is. <laughs> and I think that if somebody wants to live on the beach and drink wine every day, and that's their, that's what brings them, if we want to call it a purpose, purpose, then great, I think maybe. Because like you will have people who also, like Bill Gates, who feels purpose in spending his billions to – you know, mm-hmm. do the things that he's passionate about. You will have um, Mother Teresa. You will have you will have the people who will always be doing what they feel like is their purpose. So I don't. This sort of to for me gets into the uh, conversation of productivity and and are we trying to do all of these things because we feel purpose in them or because we feel obligated to achieve mm. and. And for me, more recently, I think it's probably because we feel obligated to achieve. I'm not saying that it's still not good that doing and accomplishing all these things isn't good because I think it is. But at the end of the day, do I want to have done all the things in my life because I felt obligated by other people, mm-hmm. even if they were good things? But no, yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do not want to live my whole life feeling obligated to have accomplished something Mm -hmm. if what truly brings me happiness is sitting on that couch and reading a book i i don't know in that obligation Mm -hmm. to doing those things like i i'm not saying this simply epicurean but why deny ourselves the pleasures of existence a thought that i have is we as human animals, we have something that every other animal doesn't have, and that is reasoning. Mm-hmm. We have a frontal lobe, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we can actually um, tell our we we can learn and know and tell ourselves drinking every day all day long is going to kill me, and so it's not it's not actually 
the most pleasurable experience to right. do this nonstop. But I can enjoy this on the weekend mm-hmm. or I can enjoy this um, every night, like that, that type of thing. Same with we have the ability to set ourselves up for maximum pleasure in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can say, I love fancy meals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But instead of eating a fancy meal every night for the next month, I'm going to eat regular food every night for the next month so that I can go eat a $400 meal mm. at the end of the month. I feel attacked and supported all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the rationale to be able to do that. Um, anyway, so that is something that is different from other animals mm-hmm. and like what makes us advanced like further than any other animal. Um, but within that, it's just why deny ourselves the ple- like the pleasures of existence um, if we also can – like we have self-control. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is there a reason – to deny ourselves the things that we find bring pleasure to our existence. I mean, I don't think so. I think that, like you said, none of us really asked to exist. We just are here and like mm-hmm. now we're doing it, right? <laughs> so I, and I personally, I just don't really judge anybody for the ways that they stay here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that that is a, th- that cannot be the blanket statement because yeah. that gets into a lot of like self-destruction and also other people destruction. But generally speaking, like I don't, I don't think that we should tell somebody you can't enjoy being alive. Mm-hmm. This thing that makes you happy, you can't enjoy it. I, I don't believe in that. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I don't know. I think that it's, it's so nuanced that it's impossible for me to make a statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. I just don't think we should judge other people for the ways that they stay alive. Yeah. I would say let's shift from the thought experiment into reality mm-hmm. and talk more about what, what we personally, th- the three of us, our personal experience mm-hmm. with this you know, topic, um, and what we believe about it. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I can just start and just for me, and we've kind of alluded to it in the conversation, but there is actual ultimate pleasure in sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It is this counterintuitive, like paradoxical thing that if you follow every single thing that makes you happy to all end, it actually leads you into the worst existence you can have. Yes. Yeah. It is. That sounds like how, like if I follow everything that makes me happy, how could I possibly Mm -hmm. fall into suffering? But following every whim and whimsy leads you down a path into self-destruction, into um, not being free. Mm -hmm. You are then, now you are controlled by the things that make you happy and they no longer make you happy. They, you have seek them out to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I'm not even talking about substances as far as like a quote unquote drug. Um, but everything is a drug because if it affects our, yeah. you know, serotonin and, 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 you know, our pleasure centers, mm-hmm. like then it's a drug. Um, so if you, if you sought out um, exercise, let's say something that, that, is inherently healthy, mm-hmm. but if you seek exercise be every every day, all day long, to the maximum extreme, you actually 
one, could kill yourself physically, mm -hmm. um, and two, actually take your mind to a place of destruction mm -hmm. um, because you are a slave to the exercise instead of the exercise being a slave to you. Mm -hmm. As I was asking all these questions throughout the podcast, they are questions that I am pondering and finding, trying to find balance because in my life, that's what I've experienced and that's what I know. But I have also denied myself lots and lots of pleasure for reasons of shame mm -hmm. and for reasons of not wanting to go down a, a path of destruction, mm -hmm. but making those decisions with ill-informed information. Right. Um, so I guess that that's my experience um, in that and, and kind of like where I'm at and why I was asking those questions. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I do know that ultimately the times whenever I am the most, clo the closest to happy on the scale is times whenever I am sacrificing myself for others mm -hmm. um, versus following every pleasure center um, that I can. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like I have missed out on many, many things. pleasures in life because of shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it just maybe comes down to asking yourself the motives behind what you're doing or why you believe what you believe, you know? Like, are you doing something out of shame or out of fear? Or are you doing something because you want to do something good for somebody else? Are you, do you know what I mean? Like, just asking the motives behind why you're getting 12 sodas a day, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know, takes care of a lot of that. Here is a common rebuttal from a Christian. Okay. You need to be seeking out those things in Jesus. You should not, um, you know, you need to be finding your fulfillment and your happiness and, you know, mm -hmm. your uh, purpose, you mm -hmm. know, all that type of stuff in Jesus alone. Mm -hmm. I would say I agree with caveat. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, we just saw it recently with um, Pastor Jared Wilson, you know, who is a, you know, strong powerful like faith leader mm -hmm. and who sought jesus for everything yet committed suicide mm -hmm. some christians say well he wasn't truly following jesus he because didn't have he, jesus he in his heart he didn't have jesus like he needed to seek jesus more mm. um for that that is wrong on a thousand levels mm -hmm. um so let's take that as the most extreme example um you know something that is literally death mm -hmm. um but you know to a more like everyday thing and say you you do love jesus you seek after you know jesus in your life and and for fullness in that and fulfillment in that but you also enjoy drinking soda mm -hmm. and it brings you a little happiness every day to have the soda. Mm -hmm. Should you now say like this soda bringing me happiness is wrong. And so every time I crave soda, I should pray mm. and say, Jesus, give me the feeling that the soda gives me. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say because I think for me, like we say, you know, Jesus is uh, the word of God is, you know, food for your spirit mm -hmm. and things, you know, of that nature. But 
reading the Bible does not taste like food. Mm-hmm. We make all of these allegories back to our senses saying, you know, okay, he should, you should, you mm-hmm. know, feel fulfilled. And you, I mean, really none of that is, if you're chasing that emotional center, which is what pleasure is, if you're chasing that emotional center in your faith, I think that just is very, very difficult. So for me, having Jesus being the foundation, right? Finding no pleasure of in something outside of Jesus. Not that Jesus is the only pleasure, mm-hmm. but Jesus is the foundation. If I'm going to go do cocaine, which is illegal, and I feel personal shame about it due to my faith. Personal conviction about it. Yes. Well, and uh, yes, yeah, conviction Mm -hmm. and and shame. Like, man, I know this is illegal. I should not be doing this. Mm -hmm. Okay, that to me removes me from this foundation of building pleasures on Jesus, right? I'm like, man, this is illegal. I know I shouldn't be doing this. So that is outside of Jesus. Soda is legal. Do I believe that everything legal is right and everything illegal is wrong? No. But I mean, if finding if if there is something if if you can't do it, it's hard. It's hard to. I don't know if people can see. I'm drawing a right. pyramid on the table. Okay. No. <laughs> so if Jesus is the foundation, right, right, and then you build stuff on top, then it is fine. If you see it as a linear, mm-hmm. Jesus is over here on the left. Everything else is progressively to the right or whatever. Then it looks bad, right? But it's really more of a right. Yeah. I also think um, a valid question is asking, well, who says Jesus didn't put that here for us to enjoy? Not soda necessarily, but just things that... Not not soda. I say as I'm <laughs> chugging my Coca-Cola right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? We say like you have to deny happiness or worldly happiness, mm-hmm. quote, um, you know, and find that in Jesus. But like who says that Jesus didn't enjoy things right. on earth I mean, either. The, the fact of the matter is that in the metaphor that we get of creation, the God created humans in the Garden of Eden mm. that is max pleasure. There is a, abundance of everything so that we can enjoy existence. Mm-hmm. And there was something else that in the metaphor he put in the garden is the tree of knowledge and life. Mm-hmm. And I think this is my uh, what I think that that is for is because ultimate pleasure in existence also comes with self control. That tree is there because we can mm. eat all these trees, but there's this tree that we don't need to go to have. Mm-hmm. And if we have the self control to keep from that tree, then ultimately that leads to an even better experience, a pure Garden of Eden level existence hmm. of of ultimate pleasure yeah i mean i think that's a great point because what you were saying even in the beginning outside of religion if if you can experience the full pleasures of life with self-control without fear of excess without fear of addiction it it seems to be the ultimate existence and i don't think that contradicts a a faith-filled lifestyle if you add I hate to use the word religion but you know if you add a faith-centered life on top of that i mean might you say sometimes instead of sitting and having this glass of wine, I will donate the money. Yes, it might control that. But like we said, honestly, a lot of those motives are also still self-serving. It feels good to donate. Mm-hmm. It feels good to bond with other people. It looks good to society. It raises your position if people know that you are sacrificial. So mm-hmm. there is still a bit of that pleasure center, even in sacrifice. Right. Um, totally. You know. Yeah, I don't think in that, I, I do not think that there is a, I don't think selflessness exists. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I don't think you can ever get fully selfless. Yeah. I think that 
we the the things that the the good that we do ultimately is because it makes us feel good. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we as I mean to bring it full circle, we are animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There has to be a driving force, and the driving force is to to exist, to continue to live, you know, and whether that's raising your status in society or feeding yourself or looking your best to get the best mate, we can overanalyze all these things, but they are still these animalistic driving forces, you know, and yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Well, we solved the whole world's problem. Easy. Mm-hmm. Next. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we wrap this up, any other uh, thoughts to do with anything we talked about beginning to end? I did um, look up what Epicureanism is, mm. and I thought maybe we should read it off the Wikipedia page, just, mm-hmm. just so you all know. But um, it says, um, his materialism, Epicurus, his materialism led him to a general attack on superstition and divine intervention. Um He believed that what he called pleasure was the greatest good, but that the way to attain such pleasure was to live modestly, to gain knowledge of the workings of the world, and to limit one's desires. This would lead one to attain a state of tranquility and freedom from fear, as well as an absence of bodily pain. The combination of these two states constitutes happiness in its highest form. Interesting. So So what we talked about, basically, that... Pleasure is ultimate, but you should strive to live modestly within that pleasure. By limiting your temptations, you're increasing your pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that... Wow, I've been way more Epicurean than I I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Because I've been a... I have been... I mean, I have a giant apple tattoo on my arm Mm -hmm. because... I believe so strongly in the design philosophies of Steve Jobs Mm -hmm. in that design is not complete and whenever there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is how I try to live my life. Um, Not to the extreme of minimalism when there's nothing left to take away, but I'm talking design within beauty Mm -hmm. there. It's not that, you know, the, the most beautiful design is a white wall. It is that, the a a the piece the art the design is complete not when there's nothing left to add but when there's nothing left to take away because there is so much freedom and beauty in the simplicity mm. there is more freedom and beauty in the simplicity than there is in the excess mm-hmm. and that Amen. that'll preach and that's that's how I try to live my life that's I mean why I live um, with in such a smaller and smaller apartment yes. you know throughout my life and the reason my wardrobe has gotten simpler and simpler mm-hmm. and simpler um you know etc et yeah. like i try to minimize things in my life so that i can actually enjoy life more i yeah i think it's also about taking away the distractions mm-hmm. so that you can actually notice the beauty mm. so like for example um like i I've used this example a million times, but it's the best example for my own personal life. Mm. I love chai lattes like the most, but I do not enjoy them like right now when I'm having one every single day Mm. or maybe two a day or whatever it is. I don't enjoy it. Mm. It's just a thing that I have to do. But like whenever you take it away for a week or two and then give me one, it's like Christmas in a cup all over again. Mm. And so I think it's also maybe about it's just knowing those things about yourself and taking away the distractions so that you can like Mary Oliver, a poet, she um, 
there's a quote from her, one of her poems, that's like, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Hmm. And a lot of people use that to encourage people to like, go do big things, accomplish, whatever. But um, I saw online, somebody said, what most people don't realize is that Mary Oliver chose to live in solitude and look at the flowers. Hmm. And it's just like this idea of like, it's not about everything it's just about like the things that you love yeah you know mm -hmm. so that brings it around it mary oliver's existence yeah was her existence less than anybody else's existence mm -hmm. or did she live the best existence out of any human i think she lived the best existence for herself out of any human yeah i think in a in a oh it's gonna get hard because i was gonna say in if you look from a religious standpoint or a, what is a word i'm looking for anyway i keep saying religious i don't mean that a, a spiritual i guess but yeah anyway so standpoint like she should be would she be more useful giving to society well but her poems and art if it if it created a lifestyle for her to mm -hmm. create art that then influences society i was about yeah, to say the point specifically with mary oliver is that she she didn't waste her time Right. Which I guess would be hmm. the whole beach and wine situation, right? Which yeah. I also said I don't judge anybody for. So I don't really know what I believe. <laughs> That's what we're back to. <laughs> but why is her existence predicated on her contributing, her changing society? Because I do. Th no, it's not about changing society. It's about fulfilling purpose and about doing. Her purpose in existence was enjoying flowers. Well, no, because she wrote poetry. I know, I know. I'm saying in uh, hypothetically. Well, it's hypothetically, like, fine. I'm saying because we were okay with you know the existence and like, but she also gave of herself into the poetry, which changed the world. Mm -hmm. There are millions of non Mary Oliver's who live in very simplistic, like you know, nondescript in the woods mm -hmm. type life, like Mary Oliver. Yeah, who don't change anything. They live their life within their small community and they live, they die. That's the end. Nobody remembered them. Was well, their existence less than anybody else's existence? No. Also, I don't think that they didn't change anything. I think you being on earth inherently changes something. And I think you dying within your own small community affects your own small community, even if nobody knows about it. Um, but I think the point with the Mary Oliver thing is that she did not like she didn't choose not to fulfill her purpose. Mm -hmm. There's a difference mm. in in you know living a small simple life or an a not known simple life and because that's what you're supposed to live or you know whatever and actively choosing not to fulfill what's in your heart whether that's on a big scale or a small scale it doesn't really matter like if you actively choose not to fulfill what you know is in your heart then i think that's the problem hmm i think i agree with that like it does that make sense mm -hmm. that's what i think because i'm in an existential crisis currently <laughs> the thing that make what i think about when you talk about purpose is if we are animals, if we take away the spiritual element, yeah, and if we are animals, do we have purpose other than to eat, sleep, make babies, and die? I mean, 
No. No. I mean, if you take away the spiritual element, I, I wouldn't think we do. Yeah. I would say no. Which is half the reason that I have such faith is because I feel so deep inside and I know it's counterintuitive to my flesh nature. Mm-hmm. I feel deep inside that it's something else, that yeah. it's not just pleasure. I have chased, mm-hmm. I have chased pleasure mm-hmm. and it came back empty. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I would 100% agree with that. Like I, when I think about us as animals, our purpose as, as just animals is what I said mm-hmm. to to yeah. keep our organs alive, yeah. to, per, to keep life. Mm-hmm. Life wins. And life wants right. other, wants to continue. The life goes through us into the next uh, person that we create, mm-hmm. and everything that we do is to ke- keep our um, life existing mm-hmm. and create other life and create more life. Yes. But in my in my existence, in my experience, I have experienced a fuller and richer meaning through. Things like I mentioned earlier that are just counterintuitive to just that animalistic nature mm-hmm. that right. w- through everything that I said earlier and everything that Amber just said, like is what gives me that strong sense mm-hmm. of belief in the existence of a creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just, I, I just don't see how I, I do not say that I have all the answers. The fact that I cannot find the answers also points me to that, by the way, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if we were as, if we were only flesh and bone, then we wouldn't even care to have this discussion. You would not have the the ability to have an existential crisis Mm -hmm. if we were just meant to continue our own existence. The fact that we struggle and that we hurt and that we think and that we care and I mean, the fact that we even ponder our existence to me points to purpose, creation. I mean, yeah. How, I don't mean to say how can it not in a prideful way, but I mean, truly, I'm so deeply in the midst of that experience right now that I feel how can it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, I mean, I can I can see how people explain it different ways. I cannot see strict materialism. Hey, we are just flesh, bone, and blood, and and then you die, and then it's over. I just can't, I, I cannot... And it's not that it scares me to think that. Mm-hmm. I cannot fathom that. Right. That just yeah. can how how could it possibly be real? I yeah. I would say the opposite that it would almost be um it, it would kind of uh be freeing to think yeah, that, yes. that we are just yes. flesh blood we die. Yes. Like but I have found the ultimate freedom in sacrificing those things. Mhm for the greater good and for the for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean in well, I mean we'd have to get into the entire like Christian what Christianity is like in order mm. to yeah. to like fully <laughs> describe what that means but I I have I have experienced it the ultimate pleasure I've ever had is giving my life and m- making choices based on the uh teachings of Jesus. And so because of that, I am Epicurean in that I saw, I find the most pleasure in following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's what I choose to yes. do. Yes. And even, even deeper than that, following Jesus, which means to throw off worldly pleasures and not chase worldly pleasures, which we just found out is actually right. very Epicurean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> even more than I initially thought from just kind of what we had talked mm-hmm. about, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Although him being a strict materialist, 
it's funny to find ourselves on opposite sides of the mm-hmm. spectrum, but with the same kind of end result in how we live our lives out. I guess, mm-hmm. although his might not be self-sacrificially, but limit pleasure mm-hmm. to increase, li- limit options to increase pleasure. Right. right. You know? Well. There we go. Now we really did it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um so i think that's a good place to end it so uh thank you guys for listening to deeply curious um if you want to get deeper access or exclusive content from us you can check that out on our patreon page at jensen dot club um a huge shout out to Amber Day whoop, whoop. for joining Still us. Still single. <laughs> <laughs> um, on this podcast, uh, any anything you want to shout out or have people follow you on? Yeah, nine one eight. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, Instagram. Oh, hey, it's me, Amber. I don't um, ever post anything, but come along. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for uh, joining us for this episode, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.